welcome to season three, episode 10 of how to build a sustainable music career and collect all revenue streams. I'm your host, author and entrepreneur, Emily White. Huge thanks to the New York City Mayor's Office of Media and Entertainment for making this season happen. This live podcast taping is a part of New York Music Month, the official celebration of New York City's vibrant and dynamic music ecosystem. Today's podcast is brought to you by our friends at Bandzoogle. We want to take this time to congratulate Bandzoogle members for surpassing $100 million, and really I think it's $110 million they just surpassed, in commission-free sales of music, merch, and tickets through their websites. Bandzoogle makes it easy to build a stunning website and online store for your music in minutes. All the features you need are already built in, including dozens of fully customizable templates, tools to sell music, merch, and tickets commission-free, mailing list tools to grow your fan list and send newsletters, integrations with Bandcamp, SoundCloud, YouTube, Bands in Town, and more, so you can easily add content from your other online profiles, plus live support from their musician-friendly team. And I know that a lot of their team members are actually musicians, so that's nice as well. Seven days a week. Plans start at just $8.29 a month, which includes hosting and your own free custom domain name. How to Build a Sustainable Music Career and Collect All Revenue Streams podcast listeners can go to bandzoogle.com to try it free for 30 days and use the promo code SUSTAINABLE, all caps, to get 15% off the first year of any subscription. That's bandzoogle.com, promo code SUSTAINABLE. June also means it's Pride Month. I want to deeply thank our partners over at the Ally Coalition for supporting us and the crucial work that they're doing. Founded in 2013 by Jack and Rachel Antonoff, the Ally Coalition provides critical support for organizations dedicated to bettering the lives of LGBTQ youth and raises awareness about the systematic inequalities facing the LGBTQ population. The Ally Coalition is committed to bettering the lives of LGBTQ youth through tours, social media campaigns, and collaborative partnerships. To learn more and how you can get involved, visit theallycoalition.org. Okay, let's do this. So this is the final week of live podcast tapings to take you through the entire modern music industry in full. You've gotten your art together. You set up your text list via community.com and overall marketing channels before you began recording. So that's totally in place. Plus, you launched your pre-order or Patreon to monetize your music before it's even out. We've covered everything you need to do legally around your music, in particular, ensuring everyone in the studio signs a work-for-hire agreement, and you have a clear process to discuss and confirm songwriting splits. You've recorded your music, which is very exciting, and registered your songwriting with a performing rights organization and song trust or your publishing administrator. Last week, we dug in on the proper ways to distribute your music to receive the maximum amount of income while exploring where music distribution is headed via Web3. We also learned from Janae Brown, the Beyonce of marketing, on how to market with or without a budget and discuss a lot with legendary concert promoter Peter Shapiro. Yesterday, we learned a ton about merch with fourth wall COO Eli Valentine. And today, we're going to review all revenue streams owed to you if you write, record, slash release music, and play live, in addition to bonus revenue streams if you want to do even more. So let's do this. You guys are my A-plus students for being here. You know, I've pushed a lot of sustainability throughout this podcast, which is data collection, um, you know, of email addresses and mobile phone numbers from your fans. That's the sustainability component, so you can communicate with them 
about your music and your shows directly forever, not relying on algorithms and social media platforms that come and go. And this is uh, the recap of, like I said, all the revenue streams that are owed to you if you write music, if you record slash release music, um, and if you play live. So in the book that this podcast is based on, I have a, a public Google spreadsheet that you can access um, that's basically um, a revenue stream chart. And you can fill, I'm going to go through those revenue streams, um, but you can fill everything in. And if there's any blank rows or columns in that spreadsheet, you're missing revenue, right? So that's going to be pretty glaringly obvious. And then the spreadsheet is also set up um, to help you make projections. So you can estimate your monthly and annual income from your music. So it starts to feel like a real job in a good way. So that's in there um, for those that want to take the extra step. Um, but first, I'm going to review the 12 revenue streams that are owed to, like I said, if you write music, if you record slash release music, and you play live. So the first is direct-to-fan distribution. That's going to be selling music and more through your website. That's where you're going to have the highest profit margins on your music and also collect all of your fans' contact info. Okay, so that's like the A-plus version. Um, the second one is Bandcamp. So making sure your music is up and available on Bandcamp. That's where you're going to have the second highest profit margins and more often than not, um, also collect uh, that fan email address, that fan contact information. Uh, the third one is distribution. Most of you know how to do that. So distributing your music through CD Baby, TuneCore, DistroKid, Label Engine, um, you know, getting your music up and out on all the streaming platforms. The fourth revenue stream is performing rights organization. So that's going to be ASCAP or BMI primarily in the U.S., um, each country tends to have one performing rights organization. We have a few in the U.S., but for example, in Canada, that's going to be SOCAN. In France, that's going to be SACEM. In the U.K., it's going to be PRS. And if you don't register your songs within two and a half years of releasing them, you never get that money. So hopefully we hammered that home and the music publishing isn't scary or confusing episode. Uh, but please pick a performing rights organization, sign up for it, and have a process for yourself so you're registering your songs and not missing out on money. Now, if you are just signed up for, I mean, I've said this so many times, I just hope everybody hears me on this. If you are just signed up for your performing rights organization and you are not collecting on your music publishing in any other way, you are missing out on revenue. So music publishing is an additional revenue stream beyond performing rights organizations. So you can go sign up for Song Trust to collect on your music publishing. And that's if your music is being covered, streamed, sold, any of the above, which is all of you. Um, or, of course, sign with a music publisher who can administer and collect um, on your works on your behalf. Okay, so that's an additional revenue stream. Um, another one is sound exchange. You need to make sure you sign up uh, for sound exchange, which is going to collect your royalties for your recordings um, from Pandora and from Sirius, basically inter uh, internet radio, so non-interactive um, streaming, basically. So like on Spotify, you can go pick the song you want to listen to, um, but on Pandora, it's going to be like an artist channel, and, and you guys know how Sirius works. They're just going to play. Uh, whatever, based on the channel that you're listening to. 
Um, also, I highly recommend having a Patreon. Uh, or yesterday, we learned about how Fourth Wall also has a membership club. So that's kind of your, your online fan club. And you also get uh, the email addresses and data from that. So that's super huge. Um, yesterday, we also did a deep dive on making sure you have an online merch store. Um, I, as you guys know, I really like what Fourth Wall is doing, how they have on-demand options, but they also have traditional options. Um, so you can mix and match and obviously push that merch store, right? If it's just sitting online or in your link in bio or whatever, or in your link tree, nobody knows about it. So run sales, specials. It was nice to hear Eli um, really validate, like do a sale for your birthday, right? Because then you're not competing with um, other folks' holiday sales and stuff like that. Um, an additional, uh, another revenue stream from there is obviously live performances. Um, you know, we learned a lot about webcasting during the pandemic. Um, there was a huge explosion in um, webcasting options. So I really like the platform Veeps um, or Volume. So you can do donation-based shows. This is a live podcast taping. So um, for the Tower folks, I think we have someone at the door. If someone could come uh, let them in, that would be awesome. Um, so yeah, so uh, also, like I said, you can webcast, it can be um, donation-based, it can be ticketed, and not necessarily just popping up on um, Instagram Live, but you can also build uh, towards that. Um, don't forget live merch. I mean, it's a huge bummer when you go to see an artist that you love, um, and there's no way to support them at the merch table, right? Um, so that's also something um, you can set up with Fourth Wall or on your own um, you know, how, you know, we went through a variety of options on merch. And then finally, um, YouTube royalties for your recordings. Um, you can collect on that through AdRev or Live Nation uh, bought a company called IND Music um, that can help you collect on your recordings um, on YouTube. So I'll just, I'll rip through that list really fast. It's, uh, just to recap really quick. Um, it's in the book as well. So 12 different revenue streams that are owed to you. If you write music, if you record slash release music and you play live. So direct a fan through your website, Bandcamp, digital distribution. So again, that's going to be your TuneCore, CD Baby, Label Engine, DistroKid, your performing rights organization, your publishing, which is separate from your performing rights organization. So that's going to be Song Trust or a publisher, a publisher or publishing administrator. Sound Exchange, Patreon or your fourth wall membership for an online fan club, your online merch store, live performances, webcast performances that you're accepting donations for or charging, live merch and YouTube royalties on the recording side, because your royalties on the publishing side will be collected by SongTrust, um, so it's all set there. Now, if you have recorded outside of the United States, then you are also owed neighboring rights. Um, to be honest, I don't really care if you remember what neighboring rights are. That's why I don't even go into like the sub-revenue streams of publishing. I just really wanted to hammer home in that episode um, I wanted you to be able to clearly and simply define and understand what music publishing is and also know how to collect on it. And I feel the same way about neighboring rights. So if you recorded in Canada, if you recorded anywhere abroad, um, you can contact Centric or Premier and they can help you collect on those neighboring rights. Now I will explain what that is. Um, so as we learned uh, very early on, there's two main rights in music. There's the 
recording side and there's the publishing side. Um, so on the publishing side, um, you collect your performing rights organization royalties. Neighboring rights is the equivalent of that on the recording side. And every single country in the world pays this, except for the United States, North Korea, and Iran. So that's what sucks uh, if you are recording in the US, um, which can be very frustrating. If that's something you're interested in um, creating a little more advocacy for, um, I recommend checking out Future of Music Coalition. Um, they're an amazing artist advocacy group. Um, full disclosure, I've been on their board. Um, but they really lobby in Congress to get this passed. It's basically like amazing nonprofits like Future of Music fighting with radio lobbyists who have a lot of money. Um, it does come up in Congress every once in a while. Believe it or not, it is a bipartisan issue. Um, so it's something to really bring up and push for. Um, because like I said, we're in the same boat as North Korea and Iran on that one. But the um, short part is if you have recorded outside of the US, con contact Centric or Premier, um, and they can help you collect those neighboring rights. And I definitely know, in fact, my business partner have, has her artists uh, do this. I definitely know artists that do record in Canada and outside of the US on purpose so they can um, get those neighboring rights. Okay, so I also have a list of bonus revenue streams, which means um, they're not necessarily guaranteed or you kind of have to go do something beyond just like release your music um, and or play live. So the first one is VIP live show offerings. Now that's something I really think you can do at any level. You know, you can charge a little bit more to get coffee with your fans, to have them, um, you know, come check out Soundcheck, um, so it's definitely something to keep in mind. It's also something you can do at your webcast. You know, you could do a VIP webcast and have a limited amount of fans or if you're comfortable taking requests or doing some sort of Q&A um, or even just hanging out after like the normal webcast, right? At, like and, and doing Q&A and, and stuff like that. Um, live recordings. I think this is something not nearly enough artists are, are taking advantage of. They definitely do in the in the jam band scene. They they do that very well. Um, you know, in the pre-digital era, you didn't have. Well, now you have the technology to record shows. But also in the pre-digital era, in addition to not really having the technology, if uh, you would have to be signed to record and distribute your music, and they would block you from recording your shows and doing anything with it. So to me, that's like a very wide open opportunity. And I totally understand why most artists don't take advantage of this because, you know, we're really, I'm not an artist, but like we're really critical of ourselves, right? Like, oh, the recording isn't perfect or my vocals aren't perfect. But think about it from the fans' perspective, right? They're like, oh my gosh, like they said Brooklyn, or oh my gosh, I heard myself, you know, scream or yell or whatever. Um, and you could even put your recordings up on your website for donation or for subscription. Um, so, you know, think about playing around with that as well. Uh, now, so another bonus revenue stream, when, when I was managing artists, um, when we would take someone on, we would look at their catalog and see if it's, um, if every release is out on vinyl. And if it isn't, we would, uh, you know, we would do, we would uh, release it on, release, we would do each release on vinyl once a year, if that makes sense. So we would take whichever one the artist wanted to start with, launch a pre-order, go through the same process, right? Um, and then that's like a whole new revenue stream that otherwise was just sitting there. And if you sell a few hundred copies of, of any release on vinyl, 
contact the coalition of independent music stores and they will, if you're selling like 300, which is a lot uh, for vinyl, they will likely buy copies from you and then distribute it to record stores worldwide. So they're just going to buy that vinyl directly from you. Sheet music is a revenue stream to keep in mind. So when I was working with a band called the Dresden Dolls, uh, they're a keyboard drum duo, and we used to get a lot of requests for sheet music. And the singer of the band, Amanda Palmer, um, ended up putting together like photos in the sheet music book from the recordings and, and handwritten lyrics and a whole bunch of creative things. And it ended up being a really expensive book because there were photos and extra pages and stuff. It, was, it ended up retailing for like $50. But because it was such a beautiful book, it was literally called, because their uh, debut album was self-titled, The Dresden Dolls Companion, there were fans who couldn't even read music who were then buying the book as a merch item and a coffee table book, right? So um, there's ways to get creative um, with sheet music for your fans that read music or, or don't read music. Music lessons, you know, I, I know artists that have played in Nine Inch Nails and the Violent Femmes and, and really massive bands that... Um, give vocal lessons via Skype or do drum lessons. Um, so that can be a great additional uh, income stream for you. Podcast revenue, that's in the bonus category because it is hard to generate revenue, um, you know, making podcasts. But I, you know, I, I do love it uh, if it's right for the artists. Um, I certainly know some artists that wanted to uh, foster a deeper connection with their audience or share a little bit more about their music. So basically kind of creating your own radio station. Um, and this is like a whole podcast episode in and of itself, but Spotify is paying really high royalties to podcasters right now, kind of messed up since they built their business off the backs of musicians. Um, but that's a segue into, you know, sponsorships, endorsements, and branding. Obviously, like the more listeners you have and the more you build it up, um, you can start to work with partners and, and sponsors um, I also have sponsors, sponsorships, endorsements, and branding um, as a bonus revenue stream because that's not guaranteed, right? Um, and so, you know, partners aren't just looking for followers in your numbers. They're looking for engagement. So my company works with an artist named Julia Nunes that has uh, really high engagement numbers. And so we are hit up by brands constantly that actually... Um, view her as an influencer, and she is, um, but we pitched a lot of really random products, and she obviously, you know, only works with things that she really believes in, and I know, I know you all know that, too, um, as artists, but also with, with sponsorships and endorsements, you know, you can start uh, local, right? If there's, if there's local companies you want to partner with or nonprofits you want to do a promo swap with, or maybe they have some sort of a budget or, frankly, warm audio, kindly gave me this mic, you know? Um, but I genuinely talk about warm audio in the book, so I was super excited about that. Uh, speaking engagements, uh, if that's something you're interested in doing, you could reach out to music schools, high schools, colleges, um, you know, share your experience, uh, ask if they have a budget, always ask that uh, if you're being offered any sort of speaking engagement, and, you know, be proactive about sharing that. Um, I always post, like, you know, before speaking engagement, like, hey, looking forward to speaking at NYU. And then, you know, whenever I'm speaking at a conference, I give um, someone in the front row a copy of my book and my phone. And I'm like, hey, free book for anyone that takes photos. And then I have content to share after. And then more and more people see that. And um, it just leads to more and more speaking engagements. 
Sync revenue, um, that's in the bonus revenue stream category because that's uh, not guaranteed. Like I, in, I interviewed uh, Zoe Keating for the forward of the book this podcast is based on, and she calls sync mana from heaven, right? So even though she lands a lot of sync placements, she doesn't know uh, when that's coming. And of course, um, sync revenue only comes in if you own your rights um, or if you are signed to a publisher or label if you are recouped. So that's also why it's in the bonus category. And then, of course, uh, you can generate revenue playing on other artists' recordings as well as session work and shows, uh, in addition to producing, mixing, mastering, remixing, and or arranging uh, for other artists. Um, so we'll have time for questions at the end, but hopefully that's helpful. Um, but to bring this to life and much more, I'm going to share a little bit about our esteemed guest, artist Madison Rose. Madison Rose has slid down a rainbow from an alternate universe to wake everyone up to the full acceptance of others and, most importantly, themselves, which I love. This electrifying artist has been featured in Billboard, Paper Magazine, MTV, Rolling Stone, and more, racking up over 20 million streams. The self-proclaimed rainbow girl against a storm cloud world is authentically and independently on the rise and released her debut album Technicolor, Technicolor, as well as its deluxe Technicolor, The Full Spectrum, this year, which Paper calls a lesson in pop perfection. The album is receiving rave reviews, editorial playlist support, and a flurry of organic TikTok love. Madison Rose is breaking, is breaking in the queer scene, but is primed to take over the world and every dance floor in it a 2023 nominee for Breakout Musical Artist at the 2023 Queerty Awards, let's welcome Madison Rose. Come on down, Madison. And we did not plan our green outfits, so we're the green ladies today. Oh, so good. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much for doing this. Yeah, of course. I was asking them upstairs. I was like, so when they say my name, do I just like <laughs> descend down the stairs? There you go. So... My descent. Hello, yeah, everyone. Love it. So where are you from? Uh, I feel like I'm from a lot of places at this point. Originally, I'm from Cincinnati, Ohio. Mm -hmm. I asked my mom to move to L.A. when I was nine years old. Nice. Um, I've always been a performer. Yeah. And when you have no concept of the industry as a child, you're like, obviously, I'm going to go to L.A. and be a Disney kid. Duh. Um, so then we moved there. I lived in L.A. for 15 years. And then I just moved to New York last year. Very cool. So yeah, a lot of different places, it feels like. Pretty nice mom. Oh, my mom's the best. She's so, so supportive, and I'm really, really, like, lucky. I just, I can't believe she's my mom. Very cool. Well, we'll get you out of here as soon as we can so you can have dinner. With <laughs> no, 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 no. She knows. <laughs> Duty calls, work calls. Awesome. So as you mentioned, you're now based in New York City. Um, welcome. You've been here a year. Thank you. What does New York mean to you? New York means... I think pushing the boundaries of my art and my my personal life too. Just I felt really stagnant in LA and I'd lived there for so long and had this idea of what my career had to look like. Mm. And I think with the pandemic, I was lucky that the pandemic actually opened a lot of doors for me yeah. online. And then that made me realize I really could be anywhere in the world and do what I loved. Yeah. And I just wanted to be happy. And I'd, I'd visited New York in the past, and I was like, I really felt at home here. Yeah. Um, so I kind of just, like, bought a one-way and didn't really tell anyone. And wow. I just kind of left and came last year. And it's been, like, like 
incredibly life-changing for me to be here. Yeah. And who, you know, I'm from Wisconsin originally. It's like, did these little girls in Ohio and Wisconsin know you can do this from anywhere? But totally. And like, even going back to what I was saying before, when you're, when you're from there, me being nine, or I think even just when you grow up in like a Midwest mentality, it's very like binary of like, well, Mm -hmm. you go here and you do this because you grow up in that kind of Midwest binary anyway, like yep. grow up, work for PNG, make a family, you know, do this kind yes. of thing. So then you have to break out of that, especially being in the entertainment industry and being in the music industry, because mm-hmm. there's no, there, thankfully for you, there's more of a rule book. You have a, an amazing book and are giving people tools, but I think overall in making it in this business, there is no rules. Yeah. And it's really just, you have to have a strong sense of self and a gut to make decisions of what's going to be best for your career and figure out what you even want your career to look like. Cause for everyone, it's different. hundred percent. The track from your debut video diamonds has racked up a half a million streams alone. How did drag culture inspire the look and feel of this video? I think it's so amazing. You're asking about diamonds because like nobody talks to me about that anymore. And, um, it's such an important, it was an important start to my career to answer your question about, drag specifically I think in general how drag inspires me is it's the it's like an exclamation point on life Mm -hmm. and that's how I look at my work is just how can it be louder brighter um just bold and that's something I've tried to carry through um in my career since so with diamonds it was just really that like how am I how am I the most loud like expressive form of myself um especially since that was my debut single very cool I love it Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So your career went viral during the pandemic with the release of Iconic. How did influencers like the Nava Rose and Arthur Osen pick up on the track? Um, Iconic is such a special moment and I think goes to how it's like that phrase, uh, luck, it's like preparedness meets opportunity. Um, So I think even the influencers that you named, like Nava is my preparedness. So Nava's an old friend of mine, but how we met is weird. And like, we, it was like years before that I was invited onto like a YouTube show about clothes thrifting and like making it off at this point I put out any music. It was really random and she was a judge and we just genuinely like hit it off. Um, and then we just kept in touch, kept in touch. And over the pandemic, you know, I saw like the work that she was doing on TikTok and, Um, and I reached out to her and was just genuinely like, Hey, I really believe in this song. Um, actually I had reached out to her about another song before that rainbow phone. And she did a video for that. And that really like gave it a a great push. So then when iconic came, I was like, Hey, I've got another song, um, which I'm going to sidebar and give advice. Like, don't be afraid to just ask. Like you have to, you cannot be scared because a lot of the things that have happened for me would not have happened if I was like embarrassed of just asking people like, Hey, I need help. No, I don't have, I don't have an influencer budget. Like, Mm -hmm. but 
you've known me for a while, you see me working. And then people genuinely want to help you when they see that you help yourself. Yeah. And I think that that's like why Nava and I really hit it off because she's a, she's a hard worker. And so when I reached out about Iconic and I was like, hey, I've got this other thing. I think you could slay it. And she was like, absolutely. Um, and so then when she put that out, it just caused like a trickle down effect of influencers who I, I don't even know personally, like Arthur Osen. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know them personally, but now we've connected through my music and that caused so many like UGC genuine creations from Nava's video and from some yeah. other influencer friends of mine. So I think it's like making genuine relationships yes. um, is that's what this industry is all about. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Absolutely. And I mean, that's how they became influencers too. It's like Nava's not going to push anything that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so true. Like trying to align with people that they stand for something. Um, Cause even, you know, we have to be honest with ourselves or even friends of mine who are influencers who I maybe wouldn't ask them to put my song up sure. because I know that, you know, we all got to make a bag and I know for them, they're promoting a lot. So I, yeah. I have to like have an outside look of that and know like mm, their followers might not actually connect with this mm-hmm. specifically because they kind of know when they're being sold to where they don't exactly maybe trust this thing. But like Nava is a great example where she's 10 toes down on whatever she's putting out or any songs and she's really so herself. So it was like a perfect match. And I think I've gained a lot of genuine listeners from being really strategic with like my influencer partnerships, I guess you could say. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. So why has TikTok worked for you in particular and what can other artists learn from your experience? I think TikTok works for me because you don't have to be so put together for the app. And I feel like, um, you know, Instagram has kind of evolved. And I think we're all trying to get back to it as a society. Like, I think we're all tired of feeling like we need to do professional photo shoots, just like post on Instagram. Um, But um, I think it kind of, it shifted away from its initial thought, which is just genuinely sharing with people and genuinely connecting. Where TikTok, I think people feel genuine connection with others and that's always what I wanted to do in my work so I think that's why it it works Mm -hmm. um but I think also I have to have my own boundaries with it as an artist and be like I'm a human being I can only be a machine so much I don't post excessively when I can Mm -hmm. like there's a lot of it there's obviously ways that you work with the algorithm and like post three to five times a day like we know these things but it's like we're also human beings and yeah. sometimes I just can't do that. Like, but I but then I have to pick the moments where it's like, okay, I have a song coming. Yeah. You know, and and kind of reverse engineering it and being like, okay, if I know my song's coming on this day, then a month before that, I'm gonna like be a little pick back up and do the thing that we don't always wanna do and and you know, things like that. But then know when to take my vacation and then know when to take my break yeah. from the app. And I think that's also why I can have a good relationship with it, is because I don't let it run my life. And I also don't think that that is the only way that you market your music. It is a super powerful tool, but it cannot be the only thing that you do. Um, Because I couple that with like, yes, I'm really present online, but I'm also, this week alone, I have like seven shows. So like I'm out and I'm gigging and making those real life connections because both are really important, the old school way of things and the new school. Um, But yeah, that's why I think it worked well for me. And then also I met genuine influencers and made genuine friends Mm -hmm. who um, support me so much. And I feel like that's, I I found community on there. I think that's why it works for me. Absolutely. Um, I'm so glad you talked about balance and that you're mixing that in. Super important. 
Um, you talked about other ways of marketing yourselves. Um, anything else besides or yourself? Any anything else besides shows? Um, I'll speak to like some marketing things I've done in the past uh, with one of my songs, Rainbow Phone, mm-hmm. because it literally is Rainbow Phone. I purchased like a covered number that was like one eight. Cool. I think it was like one eight eight Roy G Biv or something. Doesn't work now, but at the time. Um, during that whole like press cycle of running that song, I had this number that I did it before the song came out that fans could call in and hear a snippet of the song, that they could leave me voice messages, that they could text me. Um, and then now I have that fo- their phone numbers too. Yeah. So I can use that for, for later for other like data gathering things. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was like a marketing thing that I did for that song. I try to be pretty site specific with each song if I can. Um, because I feel like that makes it more of a, more of a moment. I love a theme. Like with Iconic, it really stuck in the drag community. So then for the marketing of that, it was like, okay, how can I connect with more? Like if this is working naturally, how can I push it even further? Um, and connecting with certain, with, uh, certain drag artists and things like that. So I, I try to find a hook in -hmm. each of my songs or my albums and then dig into the marketing further that way. I love it. Um, so for our live audience and our live stream audience, because we'll distribute this to podcasts in a few weeks, do you want to share any of your upcoming shows? Yeah. Um, well, probably the one I'm most excited for is actually this Monday. I am opening for Aqua at Irving Plaza. Um, and I'm really excited for that. Yeah. But there's all little little things, too. I'm doing a very, like, bus club, another club, mm-hmm. gaga moment over the weekend. I, I'm going to be in Times Square for a couple songs with Playbill mm-hmm. on Friday. Saturday, then I fly to Seattle for a club, and then I come back, and then uh, I will be performing for SoundCloud on Sunday, and then I run to Gatano, which is an island here, for like a pride party, and then another pride party at Pebble Bar, so just kind of keep the momentum going, and then I will take a nap after that. (laughs) Take naps throughout. I took a nap today. Yes. Very pro-nap. Oh, so pro-nap. I love naps. What is Beat Bread and how has the platform supported your career financially? Yay, Beat Bread. Um, yeah, so Beat Bread is it's a really simple business model that was perfectly timed for me. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, they advance you your projected streaming revenue on your songs. Um, so I had hit a point with my debut album that came out last year, Technicolor, where there was just some little finishing things that I needed to do. And I was like, how do I freaking pay for this? Like, how do I do this? I was working like four different jobs, various restaurants, social media gigs, like all these different things. I was like, I need like, you know, I don't even need that much. I just like, I can't, I can't get there and I need to do it now. Um, And I, someone had mentioned Beat Bread to me in a session and I was like, this sounds fake and weird. (laughs) Um, And I went and I looked at their site and I was like, this still sounds fake and weird. And then I left it alone and it it kind of like the universe, like it came up in a conversation months later and I was like, I need to actually look at this. Um, Which another weird point of advice, I think as musicians, like there's so much changing rapidly and there's so many startups and so many companies like really do your research because you could be glossing over something that looks fake and weird and it's actually really helpful. Um, so I've had to do, I've had to do that many times with, and, and take chances on new companies. Cause like I'm a new artist and there's something in that that's really serendipitous and beautiful to coexist in this way. But basically beat bread, they, they have it. It's really simple. Like you put in your metrics and they look at your back catalog and you basically adjust the deal for what 
you want. But what's great about Beat Bread is you can buy yourself out of the deal at any time. And it's not really like where with a label, it's like you're Mm -hmm. owing them God knows how much and when will you ever see any other revenue. You can adjust it to you still see flow through revenue um, on your streaming. Mm -hmm. And that's the other part. They're only collecting on your streaming. So it's not like I was getting taken from any other way. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, that's basically the summation of what Beat Bread does. And I did two rounds of funding with them, uh, just to do finishing things at different parts of my projects. Mm -hmm. And then I recently bought myself out. um, And it was really seamless and pretty easy. Like it just wasn't, it's just not complicated Mm -hmm. for them. Their business model is really simple. Like, hey, you need the money. This is the money you were going to make anyway. Yep. Here it is. And now we're going to get out of your way. Yeah. Um, so I think if you're at a par- a point in your career where you're like, I know exactly what to do, mm-hmm. it would just be easier if I had like X amount of money, mm-hmm. maybe check it out. Um, they're really, they're really a great team. They also were helpful, like even maybe in ways they didn't need to be like extra, extra little things on the side. Like it's great to work with these small, smaller up and coming companies. Cause you still get that mm-hmm. kind of, um, like handheld mm-hmm. support when you need it. Yeah. Um, if you go back to 10 episodes from this, we did a special episode on Beat Bread. Oh, cool. Yeah. So um, you own your rights. And I believe you need roughly 10,000 streams a month to qualify for their algorithm. Um, but like you said, it's basically an advance on your streaming. So, um, and I only, you know, share companies that I think are um, yeah. doing great things. So it's awesome to hear your experience. Yeah. I've had a great, I had a great experience with them. And I think it's like, it's, it's also nice. I think the way that they structure the deals, I never felt like, how am I going to like recoup this money? How am I going to pay this back? How am I going to this? Like we all think that we want like, well, I want a million dollar deal. Well, of course you do. Like more money is more money is more money, but you have to pay that back. So if you're not certain, it's like, that's not really helpful. And I think that this is like a good stepping stone. And there's more and more companies that are, I think, giving artists stepping stones rather than Mm -hmm. kind of like throwing them in the deep end and being like, well, you figure it out. Like I just did um, another deal with an up and coming company, Duetti, where they basically, you can, you can sell parts of your back catalog, but you can do it song by song. Um, And I think that's another thing that we'll see more and more from artists rather than like, Hey, we're going to take everything. It's a little bit more tailored to what is working. Like for me, it made sense to like, yeah, I can part with, half of this one song and that will help my entire rest of my catalog. Um, but it's nice. It's not, we're not getting, I think we're moving out of the like blanket deals for everybody kind of vibe that the music industry had before, which is amazing because it's not one size fits all. And we see that. Yeah. Wow. I don't know how old you are and you don't have to share that, but very wise. I totally agree. I'll share. It's actually my birthday. Like a couple weeks ago, I'm 27. Yay. Happy belated. Thank you. Awesome. I actually love sharing my age because I think that, we also are moving out of the, like, you need to be a fetus yeah. to, like, be successful <laughs> totally. in the industry. Not to say that I'm, like, I don't know, like, no, totally. old. But I, I feel like that all the time. Like, yeah. even my putting out Diamonds, I was mm-hmm. 21 when I put out that first single. And I was, like, I'm old. I'm so old, and I will never make it as a pop star. And that's just, like, so devastating. Like, why? Like, you shouldn't feel – your dreams have no timeline. That's like, right. We even, you know, RIP, like, Tina Turner. Mm-hmm. How old was Tina Turner when she finally, like, really right. broke through in the way that we all dream of? And I feel like that just, mm-hmm. that is one of many stories that it's, like, your time is your time. 
and just try to be prepared for your time by listening to your podcast Thank and you. following the checklist. <laughs> You're very sweet. I'll, I'll, share a, I'll share an additional story on that. So there was a band that I saw in middle school because mm-hmm. like the ma- they were friends with my girlfriend's um, older brothers, okay? Mm-hmm. And they became a pretty big band in Wisconsin. Maybe they could play like a big New Year's show, get a good payday or whatever, but I don't think they were doing much like regionally or whatever. Um, the singer started like another band at some point. Anyway, he eventually, his, his wife got a job um, at the LA Times, like in advertising or something. So they moved, he was like literally like a farm kid and moved to Los Angeles. And um, I'm probably botching this, um, but close enough. Uh, she put up a Craigslist ad being like, my husband's really talented, like mm-hmm. looking for people to play with. Um, and so he ended up forming a band called The Record Company, and they are, I see some head nodding, they are really successful now, and he didn't find that success until his 40s. Yeah. Um, so now it's like they've been nominated for Grammys, and like, you know, they sell out the Riverside Theater in Milwaukee, mm-hmm. which is probably 3,000 capacity. I, in fact, can't, I'm not a big NFL person, but I was watching a Green Bay Packers uh, playoff game, and I heard their song, I was like, oh my gosh. Chris is probably freaking. And then yeah. I saw, like, on social media, he was just, it, it's like, he almost doesn't care about the Grammy nomination. He's like, my song is on. Yeah, totally. But the point is, is, like, he is totally having mainstream financial success yeah. in his 40s. Yeah. It's yeah. like, if someone came down from above and was like, hey, you're going to be really successful at 50, would you be like, that sucks? Like, yeah. no. Like, you right. just work and you work and then the work begets, yeah. begets all of that. And you just have to keep going. People don't fail. They quit. Yeah. So just don't quit. Exactly. I love that. Okay. So we're going to get into um, the title of this episode, Revenue Stream Checklist. Thank you for doing this because I know it's not like the most creative. No, I love it. If anything, when I was listening upstairs, I was like, you're teaching me things. I'm pretty sure I got most of them, but (laughs) you're catching me at a great time because I'm kind of in the middle of making sure I have this foundation. And I think that that's what happens when you just have your artistic impulse to just like put out music. And then you're like, wait, There are all these business things I have to do too. So it's exciting. I've been doing a lot of like catch up and building and now I have more team members and things. So like, this is great. Let's do it. Awesome. Okay, cool. (laughs) And it, you know, really helps to illuminate uh, and not just like have me read a list. You know, we had Lachi on for this episode last season and, um, you know, like I ran management companies for years and managers which we'll talk about in the final episode, um, work on commission. So I had to learn all this stuff, right? If I want to eat. Um, so let's do this. Do you have a website? I do. I literally finally am getting it done <laughs> and it is launching next week. <laughs> Yay. Exciting. Well, um, by the time this is out on podcast platforms, it'll be up. So what's the website? I am madisonrose.com. It is the same as all of my socials. Brilliant. Love that. Uh, are you on Bandcamp? I am on Bandcamp. Love it. I saw that before this. How do you distribute your music? Through DistroKid or TuneCore. It just kind of depends on what other companies I'm working with at the time, yeah. but one of the two. Um, are you able to share why? Like, why? Well, like, why did you list two? You know I listed two because I started with DistroKid yeah. as a heady kind of back, like, annoying thing. Um, now that I'm working with Duetti on one song, just yeah. because that one song was attached to an entire album, mm-hmm. they had to move that song to TuneCore. Yeah. And so then I had to move all of my other things to TuneCore. Got it. Um, which I'm kind of, even though it's like, okay, I'm split into these two places, yeah. it kind of interests me because I'm excited to look at the differences between the two. I think the, the most, the, some of the biggest differences that I 
immediately see is just how much money it takes to put out your songs. Like District Kid has just different fees, mm-hmm. but I also like just because I worked with the District Kid team a little bit longer, had like direct contacts there. So yes. it's like interesting to see what TuneCore will be, but that's why there's two. Yeah. Right. Okay, now. Cool. No, that makes sense. I was just curious. Who is your uh, performing rights organization? ASCAP. And have you been happy with that experience? I have been. Um, and I and honestly, correct me. I, I think for in my experience, until you're at a certain place in your career, mm-hmm. I think it's just important to ha- just get one. Yes. Um, and then I think once you get to the point where you're being offered like white label services, mm-hmm. then you kind of look at maybe BMI is better, maybe ASCAP for you specifically, but like just get it in yes. the first place. So that that's kind of why I'm with ASCAP. I'm happy with it. That's mine. I think ASCAP is great. I think just go with ASCAP. I'm told, like you so said what I completely agree with, like, please just sign up because I've been meeting, meeting a lot of young artists and students who are like, I don't want to sign my rights away or I'm scared. I'm like, this is not That's that. not what that is. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's the thing is it's like, there's so many things and we're thankful for you because there's so many things in the industry that feel very like red taped and not understood. And so it's easy to like, feel like I'm signing something away and it's like, yes. actually you're signing up to get your money. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. But yeah, ASCAP. Cool. I really like the ASCAP folks. I think they, um, there's a lot of cool things there. And um, if they're not aware of you, I will make sure. That cool. Changes. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> um, how do you collect on your music publishing beyond ASCAP? Song Trust. Yeah. Um, I also have, like, I'm signed up on ASCAP as a publisher. Yes. Too. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe I'm double dip. I don't know. <laughs> maybe I'm doing too much. <laughs> no. Okay. No. And I'll just re-clarify that because that's why music publishing is the number one missing revenue stream I see with, like, artists of all ages and levels that I talk to. Um, because when you sign up with um, your PRO, they're going to encourage you to create a publishing designee. So a song that Madison wrote 100%, they're going to be like, okay, well, there's, it, there's a 50% writer share that goes to Madison, and then it's going to nudge you, hey, create a publishing designee. So it doesn't matter if you know that, like Madison Rose Music or whatever. So of course, when someone says, how are you collecting on, on your publishing? It's like, oh, well, I'm with ASCAP. Oh, I'm with BMI. And that's just like what makes my head explode for the industry. Um, because again, if you are... Um, just collecting on your music publishing via your performing rights organization, ASCAP or BMI in the U.S., and you are not collecting on your music publishing in any other way, and your music is being covered, streamed, or sold, which is pretty much everyone, then you are missing out on money. So Madison is doing the right thing and is signed up with SongTrust, or you can sign with a music publisher. SongTrust is basically like TuneCore um, DistroKid CD Baby self-serve for music publishing. It was founded by um, the principals at Downtown Music Publishing, who are the publishers for, like, John Lennon's catalog and Jay Cole and a whole bunch of amazing people. So, like, you literally have the same collection agency as those artists. Yeah. Yay. A plus. <laughs> I did something right. You did. Nice. You did. I mean, obviously, you don't have to, like, share numbers, but, like, was there money when you signed up for SongTrust? Yes. There was. Yeah. Well, actually, song- and SongTrust actually reached out to me. Nice. And they were like you have money again yeah. the things that you're like this is weird and fake it's not and so yeah. i was like they they yeah i got emailed by a representative that was like cool. you have money in here you might want to look at that and i was like whoa yeah rent yeah <laughs> and i've heard that from a lot of artists that i've encouraged to sign up for song trust and again like 
this is really messed up as far as the industry goes, and I would love for it to change, but there's no motivation for it to change. If you wouldn't have collected on that money within yeah, two and gone. a half years of release, it's gone. It goes into the black box, which just means it gets redistributed to other artists. And as Matthew Wong pointed out on the um, publishing episode, pays for the ASCAP awards or pays, which again, not to confuse, there isn't a Song Trust Awards, but I'm just using that. It pays for the song trust lunches. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they do throw pretty good parties that usually have like open bar and food and stuff. So you're getting... Because the black box is crushing it. (laughs) Amazing. Are you registered for sound exchange? I am registered for sound exchange. Great. Um, Do you have any sort of online fan club or like Patreon? That I don't have. I was thinking about that as you were saying it. I think that's my next step. I think I have to get out of my own way and hopefully I'm like speaking to someone else like mm. um that feeling that there's like that there's like that feeling like when you throw a birthday party you're like no one's gonna show up yeah. <laughs> um and I feel like I have to get out of my own way of that sometimes in my career and it's like right. who's gonna be one a part of my fan club and it's Me? like uh, a lot of people and yeah. uh, it's all it's all important right it's all steps even if it's like just starts with 10 yes. it has to start somewhere so stay tuned maybe there will be a patreon awesome. very very soon I very much would subscribe and um, you get the email addresses, which is nice. And I definitely know artists where their Patreon just covers all their bills. Yeah. So then like whatever they're making on shows or beat bread or whatever is then they can, it's like, oh, I can buy something for myself, you know? What a, con- nice? what a concept. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Totally. And on- honestly, like your online presence is so cool. Not that I want to like violate your privacy, but it's like, I would love to like, like reach in and like be a part and like engage or, or just, you know, it doesn't even have to be that. It's like, you know, if you're comfortable, like post a demo or like a snapshot of an instrument, like something just for your Patreon people. Yeah. I think sometimes I'm such a perfectionist. I just have to get out of my, that's most of this is just like getting out of your own way and being like, people want to see it unmanicured as I just said about TikTok. But that's, I think like a part of it. Maybe why we're now it's getting therapy, but you're so right. (laughs) Okay, Patreon. Well, unmanicured. Again, it's your art, it's your life, but like you have these amazing press shots. It's like, is there a BTS? Is there a behind the scenes version, right? Like maybe that's for the, obviously, like once it's out there, it's out there, but. Yeah. No, but there there are, because most of them are in people's garages or living right. rooms and things yeah. like that. So yeah, we should show them. Love it. Um, can fans buy your merch online? They will be able to. Yay. When that website comes up, yes, I've been working uh, really hard on merch and doing uh, a drop shipping method with it so I don't have to do, it's a little bit more complicated than just saying drop shipping, but sure. to make it simple um, so that I don't have to have any like backlogged yes. merch sitting in my house. It's 2023. Yeah. You don't need to print a hundred shirts anymore. Right. It's like so silly. Yeah. And so, that's yeah. what we learned yesterday. Um, I really love this company, Fourth Wall. I did not know any humans there. I just reached out. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I love what you guys are doing. And they do both on-demand and traditional merch, yeah. which is nice because I feel like it's usually one or the other. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, yeah I'm working with a company. It's called Drag Queen Merch cool. um, that they're doing the same thing. But it's it's nice because they have like a built-in fan base. Mm-hmm. And again, everything's tailored to like people's specific career. This I knew made a lot of sense for me because... I have a lot of crossover fan base with like RuPaul drag race fans. So I'll get a spot on their site and like a plug on their socials. But then the actual like point of sale will be directly through my site. Yeah. And then also housed on their site. So it's like I've Mm -hmm. got multiple different ways that people can buy and look at it. 
Um, but they handle all of the like fulfillment. So yeah. I just stay out of the way. I just send the designs and keep it moving. That's so awesome that you're getting sales through them though, too. Yeah, it's cool. I think nowadays, like everything is kind of reliant on partnerships. Like we all need support. Um, and you just have to find like what makes sense, like whether that's like a brand sponsorship or like in this way, like it's kind of almost like collaborating with them in, in the fulfillment of my merch and things Mm -hmm. like that. It's just like so hard to do it on your own and you're not meant to, right. You know, we're community based people and that's like what has to happen. I think a hundred percent. Did you do any webcasts or live streams during the pandemic? I can't say that I really did. I did, you know, I did one, um, like a Zoom release party for a single that I had, but not specifically, not really like any Twitch or anything mm-hmm. like that. But that's another thing. I'm like, I know people are making a killing. Yeah. And I wish there was like 10 of me <laughs> to, be, <laughs> to be doing everything at once. But I, I didn't personally. Um, I really like the platform Veeps. Um, my uh, nonprofit, I voted, just did a webcast through them. And they actually definitely helped with a lot of marketing and um, Very cool. Yeah. So check out Veeps. Um, the previous season of this podcast is on volume.com. So those are a couple of platforms um, where you can do, you know, ticketed or donation. But the most recent I voted show we did on Veeps um, was just free and we got a lot of viewers. And Awesome. Yeah. So cool. So let's see. Have you, obviously, you've returned to in real life performances. So what has that felt like? Yes. That, I'm just so grateful. Like, I love performing. I'm a musical theater kid. Yeah. So I love the stage. It's where I feel like the most comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's nice because everyone, I think, is really excited to yeah. be back and seeing that. And at this point, it's where I make most of my revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, other things come up. Definitely also because of the TikTok thing, I, I think I ride the line of I can dip into the influencer mm-hmm. bag if I want to. Um, but that, you know, those deals kind of come and go. I feel like with my live show, it's like, I know exactly what I'm doing. I know exactly what it's worth. Yeah. Um, and I know the markets that want to book me and that's growing every day. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I love, I love performing live. How, awesome. do you, how do you know the markets that want to book you? Because I have a booking agent, <laughs> but uh, my booking agent, but also um, I use my analytics. Like I, Spotify for artists is amazing um, just for like a basic look there, but also chart metric is amazing, um, which is obviously how we got connected Mm -hmm. um, because that even gives you like a broader overview of everything. Um, Yeah. And then I can actually like pinpoint, okay, where should I go next? Who wants to see me? It's great. Yeah. I'm obsessed with chart metric. As Madison said, that is how we got connected through one of my former interns at I Voted is now at chart metric and recommended Madison. And I was super excited. Um, so you can um, go check out Chartmetrics, see your top markets. And then also, which we talked about in the booking episode, um, if you're looking to play Cincinnati, Milwaukee, whatever, um, you can go see the top trending artists there. And it's not always what people are writing about, you know, like um, there is a lot of racism and sexism in our industry. So that's something I really noticed, Word. like downloading um, the Milwaukee data, for example, because mm-hmm. I know that scene pretty well. And kind of the press darling artists that are like the Milwaukee artists to watch at South by Southwest were way at the bottom. And then like, I've got to reach out to Kinto Soul, this Latin hip hop group for the next I Voted show there because they are just crushing it. Amazing. Yeah. In Milwaukee. So yeah, great answer. It's all about analytics for sure. Yeah. It's also cool because with chart metric, like that's like what labels are using. Yeah. 
Like I had, after I did an interview with Chartmetric, I had a friend of mine who works at a label who they were in some sort of presentation meeting and they saw my photo on it Mm -hmm. and then text me. They're like, we like, we love Chartmetric and we're using da da da. Like, it's so cool to feel like we have the same tools at our, you know, at our disposal as like the big wigs, whatever that means. It just means they're in a building. It doesn't really, it doesn't really mean anything. They're in the black box. They're in the black (laughs) box. You don't even want to be in the black box. No. You want to be in the rainbow box. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and honestly, a lot of the big wigs aren't using these tools. Like they're using that article, like Milwaukee artist who watched it South by or whatever. So use these tools. Like that's what it's about. Yeah, totally. Love it. Do you know if your YouTube royalties are being collected on for your recordings? That's definitely like an advanced placement question. Okay. I think yes, but let's dig in deeper because maybe I'm calling it a different thing. Sure. YouTube content ID. Is that what we're talking about? Yes. But you might want to look into AdRev, which is also owned by the same company mm, as Song Okay. So okay. it's not fake and weird. <laughs> you, we'll make merch. Yeah. Fake and weird. Yeah. <laughs> I will buy that merch. Okay, cool. Um, and then also, this is very lazy, but like there was a great company called IND Music that was acquired by Live Nation. So I always Google IND Music, Live Nation, find those guys' names when I need to contact uh, them. Okay. I think I need to double check that because yeah. that was the one I wasn't so sure about. Yeah, I would double check yeah. that because um, the content ID is likely identifying it and then paying the publishing side to your mm. song trust account, okay. but it needs a side to pay it on the recording side. <sighs> Missing money. All right. Yeah. And I don't quote me on this. I don't think there's a black box with that on the recording Ooh. side. So. Yeah. Okay. I'm on it. Yeah. I'm on it. We found one. Not that I like yeah. want to find one, but no, it's like I want to help. I want to find them. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I love it. Keep going. Let's cool. find more. Um, well, this that's all the ones that like are owed to you. Mm. Um, have you ever recorded outside of the U.S.? I have not. Okay. Maybe consider it if it's not too much of a pain. Head up to Montreal or something. Yeah. Like, After I, I overheard you, I was like, hmm, work trip. Yeah. Incoming. Yeah. Exactly. Totally. Yeah. My business partner is like proactively making sure her artists do that. If, if it's, you know, if they're close to a border. Yeah. No, it makes total sense. Yeah. Awesome. Montreal. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So that's everything that's owed to you. Like I said, if you write, record, slash release music, um, and play live. So now we have the bonus revenue stream checklist. Have you offered your fans VIP opportunities? I have not yet. But again, overhearing what you were saying about inviting a sound check, getting a call. I think that's so brilliant. And like, getting out of our own way of thinking like you have to be at a certain level Mm -hmm. to offer a VIP. Like you are VIP to someone who's whoever is coming and you're like missing out on money when you don't look at yourself that way. Um, and and have it be so simple. Mm -hmm. Um, so now I am definitely going to do that because I'm like, I love watching, having people watch me at soundcheck and now I can make some money. (laughs) And that's such a cool experience for the fan. And also like, you're beyond a developing artist, but it's like, think of how cool that is for an artist to be like, well, I saw Madison Rose's soundcheck. Like, yeah, it's yeah. so cool. Right. Ugh, you have such a big brain. Oh, it's like amazing. No, really. Like you're incredible. Like I've just been doing this a long time, <laughs> but we take this stuff for granted because th- these, these are not VIP experiences, but I was just at my brother's wedding and his friend was there. He used to intern for me. He's like, yeah, I really regret when you, Jesse's my brother, when you asked Jesse to sell merch for MGMT before they were big and he invited me and uh. I didn't go, 
you know, or like my, um, my teenage cousin lost her mind when she found out, well, yeah, I've hung out with Jack Antonoff. Like I had a band opening for fun a million years ago, you know? So think about that. I love fun. (laughs) Totally. But think about that experience, like checking out soundcheck, you know, like as an artist goes and also like RIP to the beloved uh, Mandy Cuesta. Mm -hmm. Um, But Mandy was a star intern of mine, and she used to spend her intern pay traveling around to see All Time Low, and she would pay. And yes, that is a bigger artist, but she would pay for the meet and greet every time. So you could also get people, like, who keep doing it. Yeah. You know? It's amazing. Yeah. So much of, I feel like, being an artist is, like, it is a therapy session because it's just believing in yourself and believing that, like, you're not playing at something like this yeah. is what you do. And so this is, this is, this is the checklist of the things that the person who you are needs to do and like to show up in that way. So this is awesome. Thank you. Good. And you know, like it starts with like chapter one, episode one is create great art, which you do. Thank you. <laughs> and then, um, you know, I've always built Well, I don't manage artists anymore, but I've always built businesses around the artists, which to me means you create the great art. And then we take care of fans a very close second. Yeah. The fans are so, they're the most important thing for me. I feel like sometimes when you're trying to rise, it's like the companies of it all try Mm -hmm. to make you think like they're the ones that are the most important and they're not. Totally. Like, especially I think we've seen it so clearly with, with TikTok and with just the rise of social media, like your fans dictate everything. Mm -hmm. And there's plenty of people who, are friends of mine who are not signed and they've bought houses from so that's like my goal is Mm -hmm. to buy a house and buy my mom a house and to maintain as much control as I can over my work beautiful and yeah it's like that's what we're talking about create great art and connect with your fans connect with your audience all this other stuff all this other stuff is supposed to help you do that and I think this is kind of what you were alluding to don't get so distracted by all this other stuff yeah exactly it's like it's all helpful it's all pieces to the puzzle but at the end of the day I do think it comes back to as as you were saying like Mm -hmm. comes back to your art and it comes back to the people that you're trying to touch with that art yep absolutely do you record your shows Knowing that most don't unless you're a jam band, but go ahead. I don't. Yeah. But people have started to ask that. They're like, oh. why is this not why is this not recorded? Why is this not on YouTube? Why is this not this? So yeah. we've got to we've got to do it. Awesome. So yeah. Like that, even if it's audio to get going and it doesn't have to be like the most perfect thing ever, it to me it's about like oh my gosh, Madison said this or did that or what, you know, is like that unique or like the Ohio fans or whatever, yeah. you know? Totally. And like I said, it can be donation or subscription. It doesn't have to be, you know, some slick, perfect um, live recording. Um, now, you still are a newer artist. So is your catalog out on vinyl? It will be. Yeah. Um, in this merch drop, too. Um, and it's been amazing because I wasn't, I wanted vinyl, but I was like, no one's going to want that. And then it's like, which is just so silly. But um, now I'm lucky. Like, I have so many of my fans who every day, like, when can we get the vinyl? When can, can we get the vinyl? Imminently. Imminently, yeah. you will get this vinyl. We want all the things from you. No more, like, yeah, I'm like now, Yeah, now yeah. I'm, I'm getting there. Again, and therapy's been really great yeah. for me, too. Yeah, <laughs> Realizing that this is happening, you know? But it's, you know, it's such a, it's such a great example. Like, um, you can't do... Like, okay, so I was teaching a live concert planning and production class uh, this spring, and some of the students in the class performed, 
and little Ava um, had this amazing metal band, this tiny little girl and she's a woman um, covering Rage Against the Machine. But anyway, she's like, we're, you know, my band, it's only our second show. So our band doesn't want to make merch. I mean, she wanted to make merch, but some of the band members don't want to make merch because will anyone buy it? I'm like, well, we can't buy it if there's no merch. We can't buy it if we don't make it. Yeah. Yeah. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. No, it's so true. Yeah. Yeah. So do all the things. Um, Is your music available as sheet music? It's not, but I'm. I think I need to do that. Yeah, that's so cool. The um, Dresden doll story was sick. Yeah, I mean it was the bane of my existence at age 23 putting these photos, right, fair. <laughs> lyrics and everything together. But it is a beautiful coffee table book, and I know how Leonard and and their um, platform arrange me um, is helping artists do that. So mm-hmm. you can find people to help like score your music and that's yeah, sick. put it all together for sure. Um, have you ever given music lessons? I mean, I know, I know you're really busy too. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I'm going to get into that <laughs> soon with all the seven shows. But for sure, no, I know, I never did. But that's brilliant too. And another like, who knows better than you if you're out there doing it to then give give the advice. But no, I never did give music lessons. Or God forbid, if there's um, some sort of pandemic situation again, you know, then there you go. Yeah, yeah. If you're just looking for stuff to do and. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, not able to play shows. I think I'd more so really like to uh, do songwriting courses. Because cool. I really, I write all my songs and yeah. um, I don't know, I think writing is just so special. Absolutely. Yeah. And also, um, I know ASCAP has like a, if this is something you're interesting, interested in, like a film scoring camp or something. Whoa, that sounds yeah. sick. I want to do that. Yeah, definitely. And remind me um, and I can help put you in touch with folks Thank about you. that. Yeah. Um, is podcasting something that interests you? It does. Cool. And actually many people have asked me to start a podcast. Again, there needs to be seven of me, but I do want to do it. But I think something that's like music adjacent, yeah. I just figure out, you know, what the log line is for it, but I want to do it. Cool. And like, I wonder if there would be a way to combine that like with Patreon too. Yeah. Like they smart. get the episodes early or something. Mm, smart. Yes. I think we have to have like a coffee or something. I would love that. <laughs> You're new to New it's York. It's a game plan, too. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How do you feel about sponsorships and brands? Are you doing anything in that space? I love sponsorships. Cool. If any sponsors are watching right now, <laughs> I, I am Madison Rose. Anyway, um, no, I, I, I think it's really important. I think it's mm-hmm. important to align with people you really believe in. Yeah. Um, which sounds easy, but it can get especially when money starts to get involved yeah. and you're like, man, I really need that mm-hmm. um, to turn things down. But it's like, you have to always think of it like, I don't want to water down the brand. Yeah. Um, so like a, a brand that I really love and have continuously built a relationship with uh, is Arctic Fox hair dye. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, and they actually helped sponsor one of the music videos for Technicolor. Mm-hmm. It's basically a video where I like shave my head on camera and then like magically my hair gets dyed like, in Arctic Fox colors, and uh, they, without them, that video wouldn't have gotten finished. And then yeah. work working on new videos now, where I figure out ways to like incorporate them in that. Um, but that's like a long-standing building relationships. And mm-hmm. if you don't mind, if I sidebar on oh, that please. really quick um, about how like you can connect with sponsors and things. So you think you got to get creative. So with Arctic Fox, I modeled for them first. Cool. I had like big curly hair at the time, four shaped head. And um, when I was on set for that, I just like sought out the marketing director. Yeah. And I was like, hi, 
I'm a, you are meeting me as a model, but like, I'm actually a musician and I have some stuff coming up that I really think we could align on. Mm -hmm. And like, I remember her face. Like I remember her being like, yeah, okay. Because everyone is just going to assume that like, when you say like you make music, people are like, okay, let's like hear it. Mm -hmm. But I believed in myself and I was like, no, I know that they're going to mess with this. And then that was how this started was like from that meeting then emailing, having, being really sure about myself in the pitch and being like, hey, you met me here. This is what I'm doing. This song, Technicolor, Hair Dye, makes so much sense. Totally. And then that's how we've, like, stayed in connection. So I feel like when you're going to events, like, look at who's sponsoring at the events that you go to. Like, if we're at a club and you see that Liquid Death is everywhere, mm -hmm. is the Liquid Death sponsor there? Or maybe you can yeah. connect. Like, a lot of these people, they're there. They're just hanging out. And then, again, making the genuine connection of, like, hey, I have this song coming out that's called Liquid Death or, like, whatever yeah. it is. Like, something that's genuine and reaching out. Like, cold email works, too, as long as it's really, like, authentic and specific. Um, but you probably, if you sat and thought about, like, situations you've been in with brands mm -hmm. already, you could probably connect with people that you have actually met in real life. Totally. I wish I could share this artist's name, but I can't. Legally. Yeah. Mm. Well, um, well, the last time I worked for someone was like 15 years, um, 15 years ago. Uh, I was at Live Nation Artists, which um, we were trying to sign like pretty much every big artist in the world. And in some ways we did. Madonna, U2, Jay-Z, Zach Brown. It was a new like half a billion dollar division of Live Nation. Not to go on too much of a tangent. I was like 24 years old. I was like, this is either going to be the biggest thing ever or a big disaster. But if it's a disaster, it's a, a great learning experience. And so there was a um, major artist, throws it off a little, but like a big artist, he's kind of like a dark vibe type of person. But we were sent this list. It was like Red Bull, Red Bull, Whole Foods. But it's like, he clearly just looked around his house. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like we take this stuff for granted, but yeah. you're, it's like, what is the stuff you're using? Yeah. I like, like an energy drink that I love. Mm -hmm. I like, I drink Goyaki verba oh, mates. Love totally. Love them. Yeah. And then I was like, well, I might as well reach out to them because yeah. then it's genuine. Right. And like sometimes you don't, you know, it doesn't always immediately work, but it's like planting the seeds. Totally. And maybe it is at first, it's like, okay, they're just going to send me a case of product. Yeah. But then, okay, fine. I'll take photos of that product. I'll use that product on mm -hmm. tour and be like, powered by Goyaki. Yeah. And then you can start to build and go back and turn that into something uh, that's like a financially beneficial thing. Yep. I, I think it's not being afraid of the stepping stones, yeah. no shortcuts. Yeah, exactly. And like Liquid Death is a perfect example. It's like they're not giving us any money, but they shipped a bunch of products. So we had free drinks for you guys. Yeah. Like, and all of it like adds up to something. Yeah. You know, there's so many, there's so many pieces to the puzzle. Like yes. if you're doing a live show, people need something to yeah, drink. So exactly. <laughs> it's, it's money you didn't have to spend on a case of water, totally. you know? Yeah, for sure. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. 
You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mm. What flavor are you holding? Now, open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Are you, are you asked to do speaking engagements? You must. Um, more and more now. Okay. And now I'm starting to, like, adjust to that, mm-hmm. too. And the question of, is there a fee? Yes. For, exactly. That, in general, always should be. That's right is like not being afraid of that with yeah. anything. I think like when you're growing, I can say this for myself, like you get reached out by to by someone and you're like, man, I really, really want to do this. Like always ask. Yeah. Unless it's something that's like, you know, genuine out of, I think, I think up and coming people can spot other up and coming people and being mm-hmm. like, okay, we're going to do this as a, as a mutually beneficial thing. Yeah. But it's like, if whole foods, totally. You better ask Whole Foods if they have a budget. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And like, that's the thing, whether like it's a brand or, I, you know, it's okay to ask other artists this too. Like, what's your budget? Three words. And then it's not saying like, here's my rate or it's not like pricing you out of anything. Yeah. It's just asking the, or like, yeah. or is there a, bu- you know. Is there? Yeah. yeah. Cause also then it's just, it's you being more informed. Cause yeah. if there's not, okay. If you still want to do it, then you do it. Yeah. But also sometimes there is one right. and you're not going to know. Even yeah. if it's simply like, hey, can you pay for my Uber there exactly. and back or something? Yes. You know, like just anything that's – we have to pay for so much stuff mm-hmm. all the time. Like anything that lightens the load is helpful. Yep. Yeah. So getting your expenses covered um, in the least. And then also um, – you know, if there is a budget, you can also ask, you can say, is this MFN? And that stands for most favored nations. And so that means everyone would be getting paid the same. So kind of like, um, maybe more modern example would be like on sync, right? So if you get offered $5,000 for a a sync placement, um, I mean, usually you would have someone negotiating that for you, but the sync person's going to say, um, well, here's our quote. Actually, we need 10,000 or MFN with the other art. And an older school way is like that used to have it on soundtracks. So maybe you'd get, um, you know, a fee for a song on a soundtrack, but then you would want the folks negotiating for you um, to ask for MFN or most favored nations. And then so everyone on the soundtrack is getting paid the same. Obviously, if it's like Madonna or some huge, like they might get paid more or whatever. Like that's something like I should have been, I've I've since retired from teaching, but frankly, that's something I should have been better about. Mm -hmm. And my MFN with the male professors, Mm -hmm. frankly, you know? Speak, work, Yeah. yeah. So, but also like, so MFN stands for most favored nations, but like, I want you to, get that, but you're going to look really smart if you say, um, oh, and is this MFN with the other artists? I felt smart just like listening to you. So I can't wait to say that. Actually, like, so again, when I was teaching, which I did really enjoy, I was teaching this live, no, no, I was teaching management. That was two semesters ago. And there was also a record label class. And so like sometimes the students were managing an artist that were signed to the label, but they were also managing. And so they're like, well, we got this offer from the record label class for the artist. Um, you know, can you help us? Can you take a look at it? I'm like, go back to Professor Tavern and be like, is this MFN with, with other... I was like, you're going to look... Because he's going to be like, what? How? I mean, they should know that. That's yeah, what we're yeah, trying yeah. to teach them. But totally. anyway, so MFN. Write that down in your Hale Leonard uh, notebooks. Um, speaking of sync, how has that landscape been for you? What, what were you saying earlier about mana from the sky? Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> totally. Um, yeah. Honestly, I've actually had more luck with it recently but not in the traditional sense of like 
my music getting synced. Yeah. Um, I've been really excited to work with Fox Music. Yeah. They they've started a company, Fem, mm-hmm. uh, Fox Entertainment Music, where basically they're making catalog music for Fox. Um, yeah. And so it's really really fair deals, mm-hmm. where it is. MFN yeah. and everyone's getting paid the same cool. whether kill fee or for the songs that we make in the day. Um, and so that has been my little nudge into yeah. sync thus far. I've done a lot of briefs and stuff, but it's, it's a competitive game and it's yeah. also like such fast turnaround. I think when yes. you're also working as an artist, cause it's like sometimes you get these calls and it's like, we need it in 48 hours, you know, and you, and there, those are the people who like sit behind their computer and make music all day. Yes. So I can't always take every opportunity. Totally. But it's nice because then you just have that in your catalog for like yeah. you can always pitch. So I've started to see it, but it's a, you know, it's a compound effect. It'll yeah. be more momentum and stuff. And so it's sporadic, but also I, I probably shared in the sync episode, like not every artist's music um, syncs, right? It's synchronization. Yeah. So I've worked with like the Dresden Dolls, Fiery Furnaces, kind of like some weirder indie bands where they work with great sync companies and sync companies will be like, music supervisors love this. They want to be on the guest list, but the music is too weird. They can't sync it to picture. And that's okay. Yeah. You know, like those artists did well doing other things. So Yeah, totally. Yeah, so don't feel bad, you know, if, yeah. if your music's not getting synced. And like I said, I've also worked with artists that like no one has ever heard of, but they crush it on sync. So. Yeah. I also feel like don't, like, just, like, don't make songs for TikTok. Like, don't make songs for sync. Like, it totally. it doesn't... Unless you're, like, responding to a yeah, brief. Right. Like, your own personal artistry. Mm-hmm. You have to make that for you. And you need to, like, constantly remind yourself of that. Because there's so much societal messaging of, like, make it this way. Make it under yes. two minutes. Make it like this. Make it like that. Like, that's why I'm enjoying that Fox Music Camp. Because mm-hmm. that's, like, so outside of Madison Rose. Yeah. And it is a really, like point A to point B, okay, you want it this way. Mm -hmm. But I would never go into a Madison Rose session and be like, we need to make a sync. It won't work. Totally. Yeah. But you're right. You can, you can also write for briefs and stuff. I just, okay. I might be totally wrong on this, but you'll get the idea. I think I just saw on Instagram, like Neil Diamond wrote like the Kit Kat song or like, I just saw this, like, did you know Neil Diamond wrote like the Band-Aid song? And I I, I might be messing up the artist. I might be messing up the commercials, but you get the idea. But like, yeah, Yeah. someone big writing jingles. Yeah. Doesn't shock me, but like, so cool. And also just lets you know how many ways there is to win in this game. I tell myself this all the time when I get really overwhelmed Mm. that like, not everybody needs to be Beyonce. Yes. I want to be Beyonce, but like, you can have a sustainable life and career by not being at that pinnacle. There are people who live really, really lovely lives. Yeah. And you have no idea who they are. So. I think that's most artists, and this might be, like, ridiculous to say, but it's, like, there are people that don't know who Beyonce is. Like, even Beyonce, it's, like, has the beehive, right? It's, like, it's about the the art. My God, is it about the art? But then, you know, she has this amazing relationship with her audience. Yeah, it comes back to the same fundamentals, for sure. And, you know, like, Beyonce, Taylor Swift, like, they have been cultivating their art and their fan relationships for decades. Totally. It's it's hard because I think now we we have this skewed view of, like, overnight success. Yeah. And we have to remind ourselves of like of that. Mm-hmm. Like they have been you watch using Beyonce as 
because she's my everything. Oh my like gosh, as totally. as you know the the marker like how long has she been working and where she started yes. and even before that. And again, it's like no shortcuts. Yeah. Like even though now we know her today as Queen. like Renaissance World Tour, yep. it's like she had to go through the same process that we're going through right now. Or like, you know, as up and coming artists are going through. I mean, she worked and works. And I mentioned this, but like when I was an intern at MTV in London 20 years ago, I had to take time code on like a Beyonce documentary. And I was just like, she has worked so hard. And I felt that 20 years ago. And I'm not even saying this is good or healthy, but I remember this part of the documentary where um, there were like record label people coming to see Destiny's Child and they were amazing. You know, they were teenagers, but then Matthew Knowles was like, no, 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 stop. Do it again. You spent too much time in the pool yesterday. I'm just like, these people work. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So Matthew Knowles, man. <laughs> exactly. Do you ever play on other artists' recordings or guest with them at shows? It's something I'm starting to do cool. now. Um, I think I spent a lot of time making sure my foundation of like my artistry was set. Yeah. And now I feel like I can comfortably dip into other people's projects and still like know what my identity is yeah. even within that. I mean, it really is kind of the age of the collab. It really is. Um, especially like there's like an Issa Rae like um, interview where she talks about like, like connecting with people. What is it? Like laterally, laterally, like not like trying to connect with the bigger guys up here, like really collaborating with the people that are around you on your, yeah. on your same level. Totally. And I think that's so important. Like, I think it's all, all important, but mm -hmm. the guy to your right and the girl to your left and like yeah. the person over there, like all of these people are rising with you at the same time. Right. And it goes to that same like genuine connection of, co of collaborating like that. And not really, not everything has to be like, Oh, what do I get out of this? Yeah. Um, again, come back to the art. Like if you genuinely like somebody's art, and they're maybe the same level, maybe a little bit smaller than you. Like, you never know what can come out of that. There's so many songs. I keep going back to TikTok, but just it's, like, mm -hmm. so easily, like, tangible. There's so many collaborative songs on there that blew up with two people who I had never heard of. Wow. But they knew to, like, we That's should just, right. like, we should combine forces and make it happen. So it's yeah, cool. Absolutely. And, again, it was, like, I was explaining to my teenage cousin who was, like, freaking out about Jack Antonoff. It's just, like... Well, that's how this works. It's yeah. like artists were touring together. They were friends. Like, it's, yeah. it's organic. It's organic, know? for sure. Are you open to producing, mixing, mastering, remixing, or arranging other artists' music? Yes. I will be a producer in this life. I will. I already do. Yeah. Like, I am in all of my production sessions, and I, you know, comment on everything, and I'm like, hit the that thing yeah. with the doop, doop, doop. But I, like, want to actually be able to, like, push the buttons mm -hmm. and produce like a track flow. Like that's my goal for myself in the next year, I would say is start to finish completely produce a track by myself. Yeah. Um, Cause I'm already like, I'm already there. I just mm -hmm. need to get in there. Mixing. No. <laughs> mastering. No. <laughs> AI will take care of that. Right. No exactly. Mixing and mastering engineers. Right. I'm like all the really heady stuff. I'll save it for someone else, but the, but the artistic stuff. Yeah. I want to do that. What about uh, writing for other artists or with other artists? Yeah, I've started to do that more too. I think kind of going back to the same like collaborative thing, I yeah. just was really so hard-nosed and focused on like mm -hmm. defining what Madison Rose was yeah. to me and only writing for myself and, and getting that. And now that I feel like that's in a really great place, I'm like, okay, I could step out, write for other people. Um, 
And it's so fun yeah. to like take on kind of a different personality and it's someone else's like emotions in mm-hmm. that in that world and and write their story. It's really cool or help them write their story, I guess. And to your point on authentic collaborations, like I feel weird saying this, but like I have felt that on this podcast. Like mm-hmm. I've had students ask me like, oh, did you just get the biggest people you know to be on? I'm like, I got the right people. Yeah. And what's interesting about that is like, now this artist is huge, but like I had Justin Vernon from Bon mm-hmm. Iver on and that was, that was all, that couldn't have been more organic. Yeah. Amazing. I was, yeah, I was teaching at NYU and I pulled the students because I was like, okay, who is someone that you think is doing innovative in whatever I was teaching on, which was management at the time, um, because you'll get to know like my world and my network, but I want to know what you're interested in. Mm. Um, and so what topped the poll was um, Justin Vernon or someone from Bon Iver's management and I take responsibility for this as an educator, but I didn't feel like they were really connecting with what I was trying to get across. So I was like, his story really brings to life what I am trying to get across. So I will see if we can get the artist, which is a huge ask, but um, I do know their management. So at least I'm sure their managers be happy to do it. Um, and they said yes. And NYU gave really great advice. This was before the pandemic. They're like, you're in New York go to them. You don't always have to yeah. bring the per- And of course, this is like before the pandemic. So now it's like there's Zoom and we're a little more comfortable with that. So we went on a little field trip down to the King's Theater. Um, it was just like 30, 35 students. And I did a voice memo um, for my own critique. I didn't mm-hmm. ask. I had no plans of releasing that. And then when I listened to it, I was like, oh, this really brings chapter one, get your art together to life perfectly. So then I had to go back to their management and be like, I swear I just recorded this crappy voice memo just for me, but would you be open to me releasing this? And they're like, yeah, that's cool. I didn't know he doesn't give a lot of interviews. Mm. So that like totally blew up where I, sometimes I see people go after like, oh, this is going to be big. But a lot of times like people you think that are big, like do a lot of interviews. So again, it was, it was that authenticity that, and I just watched kind of like, like your viral moment. I just watched that thing. Like take off. Oh. Yeah. So again, I just wanted to highlight my own little version of yeah. authenticity. And it also, it goes back to like what I was saying, ask the question. Yes. Like if you never, if you were just too in your head about it, right? that never would have happened. Totally. Like a no isn't going to kill you. Just right. ask. Exactly. And again, the whole process was organic. The students thought of it. I wanted my own critique, you know, and then I was like, oh wait, this is this is exactly what I'm trying to get across, which, I, again, I feel weird saying this, is, like, how an artist might feel creatively, mm. you know? Instead of, like, this is going to be a hit, you yeah, know? Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's what I'm trying yeah. to say. Cool. Um, those are my questions. Anything else you'd like to add? I just want to say thank you to you for all you're doing. Um, and thanks to everyone that's here live. So cool. Yeah. And everyone on the live stream. Yeah, that means a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're going to open it up to the audience. Um, does anyone want to ask uh, Madison a question or no pressure if you have any um, of the revenue stream questions? Yeah, get on up there. It's our A-plus student. Oh, totally. Thank you yeah. so much for coming. That was so informative. Oh, good. Because I thought it would just be like review, but this is totally something new. Um, <laughs> so I guess my kind of question is, it's so cool to see that like music can like is your thing because that like right now music is a hobby but yeah. I but I treat it like a thing. Good. And it's just like I'm in the position where it's like okay, I'm I'm working kind of as little as possible to spend as much time on the art as possible. Yeah. But then part of me is like, well, what if I got more of a job that's kind of music adjacent, like mm. uh, marketing, and then I could kind of develop skills because like the job I'm at right now, I don't feel like I'm like really growing, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm just like, what's, what are your thoughts on, like, before you, like, can make music your thing of, like, sustaining yourself where the time should go? 
Mm. Yeah, I think I think that getting getting a job adjacently is great because it can teach you skills. Then it's like you're working you're working on something that then you can apply directly to your art. I would just say if you do go for the marketing job, just like don't get sucked into the machine <laughs> um, and just make sure you're still carving out the time for yourself. I never really went the route of like getting like a label kind of adjacent job or anything like that just because I was worried about that for myself. But that's because I know I know myself and I knew that I needed to push myself in an uncomfortable way to make me hungry to go get it. And that was why I worked like four different restaurant jobs. And I was like looking down the pipe of, okay, in this three months I have these shows and I need this amount of money to live. And then I just like quit everything, but I'm crazy. So, so I, I think it's don't like, I don't believe in starving artists. Cause I like believe we all need to have more for ourselves. But I think if there's, I think you only take the job if you're genuinely like, these are skills that I don't know. It's the same reason why I think you go to college, right? It's like, if you're like, okay, these are skills I don't know, I don't have, this will teach me this, and then I can apply it over here, then do it. If it's just kind of like, I want to m- maybe be adjacently, you know, I think it's just having a plan, if that, if that yeah. helps. So when you were working, like, the four restaurant jobs, was a voice in your head like, is this the right way? Should I? Do- oh, my God, all the time. And you're going to ask yourself that. Even now, <laughs> I don't work restaurant jobs. I'm like, am I doing the right thing? Yeah. But that's just, like, your own inner saboteur, I think. And I also feel like life has a way of supporting you where, like, I was working those jobs, actually really crazy sidebar, like story, but one job I was working, I was a maitre d' and like Skrillex came up to the, to the stand. You know what I mean? I think life has a really crazy way of meeting you halfway when you like believe in yourself and it doesn't, it doesn't, as long as you wake up every day and you're like, I know what the goal is. I know who I am and I know what I'm working towards. I really genuinely believe you could be anywhere and you, and you'll still get your moment and you'll still meet the people you're supposed to meet. It's just like, does it feel good for you? Like if you're like, yeah, I really want to take that marketing job. Hell yeah. Go take that. But if it doesn't feel right to you, then like, that's like, listen to your body. I think therapy. Sorry. No, I love it. That totally makes sense. I would say too, like, you know, Peter Shapiro was talking about like a lot of the staff at Brooklyn Bowl are musicians. Yeah. Maybe go apply, apply for a job. Then you're in the scene. Then there are shows every night. There's people yeah. in and out of there. Um, I just moderated a panel that the CEO of Banzoogle was on. She mentioned, like, yeah, most of our, like, support staff are musicians, right? So I bet that's a remote job. So I don't know, like, if you're interested in working at Brooklyn Bowl or whatever, but those are just some ideas I had just, you know, from the past few weeks of kind of musician day jobs where you're yeah. still in it. You I, think know? It's, I think it's anything that's affording you to still be creative. Yes. Exactly. That's really like what it comes down right. to, to me. Cool. All right. Thank you so yeah. much. I'm Trevor, by the way. Nice, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, Trevor. <laughs> Anyone else? Want to add? Yeah, get up there. Our other A-plus student. Although I think you missed some classes. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Taking attendance and everything. Yeah. Hi, my name is Drew. Hi, Drew. Um, Okay, let's see if I can compose this question. Um, because you touched on live performance mm-hmm. and monetizing live performance mm-hmm. in some ways. That just triggered a million questions I had sure. in my head about how one does that. Um, I know a lot of times there might be somebody running the board, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, well, what if I said, hey, you know, could you kind of put this on a, you know, can you just kind of do this recording for me? And maybe I just give them a, you know, a small stipend. Mm-hmm. Um, they might shrug and say, fine, I'll take $500 or something for it. And then 
Then my question is, once that recording is, is, is finalized, yeah. if I then take it and use it, um, do I collect royalties wherever I place it on the internet? And kind of connected to that, you know, when you go to a live performance, there could be 50 seats in the room and 50 cell phones go up. Mm -hmm. And everybody's recording the show. Mm -hmm. Is there any way to monetize that or capture that when they wind up on other people's Instagram stories and doing all of that? Um, I just want, this is what you I'm, are a plus. I'm visualizing yeah. this live performance scenario. I mean, right? Every performance, there's just a yeah. sea yeah, of cell phones of up. What happens to that? Yeah. You always go deep. Well, yeah. I'm just visualizing. No, it's great. It's great. If I'm sitting in, right, every performance, yeah. you're sitting there and everybody's got a recording of the performance. Yep. I mean, if you have a very yeah. visual performance, everybody's recorded that. Right. Usually when I see postings, they don't post the whole thing. Right. right. They might post a little bit. Yeah. But somebody might be posting the whole thing. Yeah. Um, so what does one do? Really good question. Okay, so let's let's start with the first thing, recording your own shows. Um, sorry, uh, concert promoter friends, but as um, shows get bigger, like especially if you go up to the sound person or whatever and ask them to do that, um, they're going to ask for an origination fee. And so origination fees are really expensive um, as venues get bigger. So this is the part I'm sorry, not sorry for. Um, I would say just like if you can have some sort of setup like on stage, you know, like if you can record it yourself and then however you want to release it, be like, this is my Boston show or this is my whatever show. Like I just would not say the venue um, is what I would recommend for that. Like I used to tour manage and in general, my rule was do it till you get yelled at. And if you get yelled at, come find me. Um, so that like, I, I would just do it like as, as you're starting out, like no one's going to be like, oh, like Drew played Philly or whatever, you know? Mm. Um, and that's a really good question as far as fan generated content. Um, I don't think there's any royalties being paid on that. I think that's like a deeper question for like a music law panel. Um, I mean, it, it should happen um, now that I'm thinking about it. And like, that could be a positive use of AI, right? Like when you're talking about content ID and now that definitely happens on YouTube. Um, That's what yeah. I was yeah. As well. be because right. of content ID. I, I don't think there's any content ID on like Instagram. I'm not sure on TikTok, um, but there's definitely like the opposite of content ID where they're going to know like, Oh, you don't own the rights to this music. So that, like, you may have just thought of a really brilliant new thing. Yeah. Well, I remember people, I even remember years ago when Facebook yeah. just came out and there was a whole question about how do I monetize uh, my little vacation photo sitting right. in front of Carnival Cruises and now Carnival Cruises has an ad. Totally. You know, how, do, how do I get paid for that? So yeah. it's the same kind of thing. You know, it's, people are posting these things. Mm -hmm. What, ha you know, your image is everywhere, you know. Yeah. Um, what happens to that? You know, but I would say you could get creative with it and be like, hey, if you guys want to send all your content to me, you know, like we can put this up for a donation or whatever. And like I'll share any royalties with you or like we'll create an NFT or, you know, something like that. So to me, that's like what that's sparking in me is like a way to get creative with it. Like, OK, here's your perspective on what I was doing. Here's this person's perspective. Here's my perspective. Your you know? fans. Yes. Your fans, your real hardcore fans, they'll just put it on a tripod and they'll do the whole thing. And then maybe you have 
Yeah. So, so maybe you put it up for like donation on your website or something and you're like, okay, I'm going to keep 50% of the donations and the other 50%, we're just going to divide it equally amongst however many people submitted content and have like a standard work for hire that you can get, you know, um, from co-signed and then you're good to go. And if they don't want to sign it, then they, you know, their content doesn't get used. But artists do that all the time with like fan generated merch, or maybe they don't do it, the work for hire all the time, but that's but what they you should. Need. <laughs> that's what you need to do. Right. So it's like, if like, we've done a lot of fan generated merch over the years and like one out of 50 fans is like, oh, I don't want to sign this thing. It's like, well, then your art's not going to get used, mm. you know? So, you know, as long as you're open and transparent and it's fair for everyone, but I think that's a really cool way to get creative. Mm. Okay. But I'll bring that up. I mean, I don't know, like, Mark Zuckerberg, but it's like, you know, when this comes up, like, with Future of Music or different panels and stuff, that's a really great question. It's like, or it's a question for, like, ASCAP and BMI, right? Like, am I getting performance royalties when someone's, you know, posting my concert video. It's really, really smart. Your lyrics. I mean, all yeah. of that is. I, I told you, you go deep. I love it. No, but thank you so much, actually. That's no, yeah, thank, you. thank you. Awesome. And, and I see some fidgeting. Anyone like, fidget? yeah. You Last get up call. There. Yeah, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I meant fidgeting for a question, not like Hi, fidgeting, was... get me out of here. Hi. Hello. Um, at the beginning of the interview, you mentioned that you moved from L.A., to New York, I was wondering, uh, was there a particular reason that you thought New York would be a better would be better? Did have you ex had, is the experience been different? And yeah, um, so I was like, as I was saying, you know, in LA for 15 years, and just every time I'd visited New York, I just like this feels like home, but it just wasn't. I wasn't ready, um, and I can genuinely say my move to New York had nothing to do with my career that wasn't the at first it, it really was just like I need to go somewhere where I'm happy um and then also coupled with like what we know of the advance of social media like I was like well right now at that moment my biggest success was coming from posting online and I was like I can do this anywhere my album was already done with my collaborators in LA um However, since moving here, there's actually a ton of opportunities I've received that I wouldn't, I would not have gotten if I didn't live in New York. And I do think it's like a big industry lie that there's like no music industry in New York. Like, I think a lot of people feel, especially if you're in the pop scene, which I am, like, you need to be in LA. I don't think that. I don't, I, I think you have to go where you're appreciated because I feel like I'm building a lot more genuine fan contact here but just by the nature of how New York is and it's so community-based and um yeah so it's been really amazing for me uh, that's why I'm like I don't know like if your music is really connected with people in Minnesota like move to Minnesota like and you can find those analytics on chart metric like really like you I think it all starts with even going back to your question like about what job to take like it really is about your gut and what's what's going to feed you as a person because then that's going to feed your art I'd like to add to that as a fellow Midwesterner, like, I love New York City so much, and, but you're exactly right, like, what feels like home to you is super important, so, like, New York, to me, on one hand, we're the center, I think New York is the center of the universe with everything, I right? I do agree. Like, food, just, like, whatever, culture, like, whatever you're into, it's, like, to me, like, the best is here, um, but you're exactly right, it's whatever is home for you, like, ultimately, the reasons why I love New York is, like, it's, like, I love our 
parks. I love our pools. I love my farmer's markets, you know? And like back to Justin Vernon for a second, like he's built an empire from Northern Wisconsin. Like I'm at least from Milwaukee, basically. Like we, this sounds disrespectful, but it's not. We just call that massive swath of land up North. That's just what it's called when it's actually like a whole bunch of cities and beautiful places. Um, So it's like, yeah, he's frankly built an empire from the middle of nowhere, which you can do now. Uh, No offense to Eau Claire, you're not in the middle of nowhere, but you know what I mean. Um, You can record from anywhere, you can distribute from anywhere, and you can market yourself from anywhere. And actually, when I had him on, um, the students had asked me in class, like, do do I have to live in New York, L.A., Nashville, or whatever? And I mentioned how I met Justin's original manager at South by Southwest in, like, 2008, and we were talking about Wisconsin. And Kyle's not even rent. I know this was a long time ago, but still, it was still shocking. So, like... Like, at the time, you could get a decent room for rent in Milwaukee for, like, 500 bucks a month. Mm -hmm. Kyle's mortgage for a home in northern Wisconsin was $200. And Justin's like, ha-ha, you know? So it's just, like, take all this stuff into consideration. I know artists that, um, you know, uh, pay for all of their living expenses in Wisconsin through their streaming royalties, you know? It's like a big lie that you need to be anywhere specific. Like, I think if it's feeding you, it's feeding you. Yeah. But we've advanced so far past mm-hmm. that and then like you can take trips to these places go to LA for a month set up your camps before that yeah or you know if you're not same thing if you weren't living in New York like I don't think we have to be like so finite about where we are anymore I love that so true all right I think that's a wrap unless oh yeah get up there yeah, I was waiting for you, Smiley. <laughs> I knew it was coming. Who stood patiently by the door. Right. Thank you for doing that. It's in the eyes. <laughs> nice to meet you, Madison. Uh, for everyone that doesn't know me yet, my name is Joshua Damata. I'm a content strategist by day, marketer by night, uh, or other way around. Can, can you hire Trevor? Just kidding. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and my question is, when you noticed, when was that pivotal moment where you made that transition from... Uh, working those four jobs to being able to live off of music. Was there a particular revenue stream that really hit it off for you? Particular opportunity? Love to hear more about your story there. Yeah, totally. Um, It was a combination. It was around the time that I did the funding with Beat Bread Mm -hmm. in combination with all the live shows that I knew I had coming up. So for me in my life, like, I have to take bite-sized parts of my life and plan it out. So, like, I knew I knew it was a risk, but I was like, I know that for the next, like, four months, I would be fine. So what would happen if I gave myself full commitment 100% of my time with music for four months when I was like, I know my album's coming out. So it's like taking calculated risks. Yeah. So, um, yeah, those were, like, the two streams that I knew. And then just kind of work beget worked. And some things, like, just totally fall from the sky. Um but still trying to be calculated about it, I think. Makes sense. And, like, keeping your eyes open to where your career currently is and what's happening. Yeah. And also moving to New York was, like, so amazing because I feel like there's a culture here where, like, you learn to hustle in ways you just, like, didn't even know. And so then it was, you know, expanding on, like, okay, what what influencer guys can I get? Or, you know, am I going to host a party? Then can I go host this party? But then tell them, like, actually... I know you have me as a host, but I really want to perform and then I'll perform next week and then I'll do this and just kind of expanding upon upon that and just really working for it. Like not everyone can do this because like nine to fives 
have a certain security. Um, and that's like something you have to think about when you make that big of a decision is now like you're your own security. So you really have to be looking at every single thing that you can do and monetize, I guess. Appreciate that. Thank you. Love it. Did I see a hand or was that a Twitch? You want to ask a question? <laughs> okay. Awesome. Well, Madison, Madison, thank you so much for your time today. Thank I really you so appreciate much for it. Let's me. give it up for Madison. Thank you. Love it. So that's a wrap for this episode. Join us tomorrow at 4 p.m. Eastern in real life here at Tower Labs in Brooklyn or via live stream on our YouTube as we'll be discussing how to repeat and grow with Lucas Sil uh, Silveria of The Clicks. In the meantime, thanks so much to Madison, Michael Benendetti, and Daniel Graves of the Benendetti Group, podcast manager Mike Zimmerlich, engineer Nathan Kane, Matthew Wong for composing the show's music, Danny, David, and Jake at Tower Records, the Ally Coalition, Liquid Death, Hal Leonard, and of course, the Mayor's Office of Media and Entertainment's New York Music Month for making this all happen. We'll see you tomorrow.